Welcome to Founders of Nations. Episode 5, Algeria. Just a note before we get started. We are in the midst of uh, living with a one-month-old, so if you hear this in the background, uh, please forgive me. I'm trying to find a quiet place, but at the moment, that's not easy to come by. I will do my best to improve it in the coming episodes. Anyways, hope you can bear it. It won't be too loud. Hello, and welcome back to Founders of Nations. This is Matthew Grace. This week, I'm going to be talking about a new country, Algeria, and the pattern of totally different types of episodes will continue. Again, just like I said last time, each country has such a different founding narrative that it's nigh impossible to stick to one style of episode. Uh, I had to turn Algeria's episode actually into two parts because of the complexity of their story. But I think the format I went with, which is short on war details but long on information about the actual founders, should give us an idea of what a founder means for an Algerian. Just a reminder, if you enjoy the show, reach out. I'm on Reddit, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, email, the webpage. I'm always excited to talk about this stuff, so send me a message. All right, well, let's get to it. Algeria is a North African country that is the largest nation in Africa size-wise. It's about the size of Western Europe, or if you're in America, that's about a quarter of the size of America. It's a pretty big place. It takes up most of the southwestern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. It's west of Algeria is Morocco, and to the south is the Sahara Desert, and the east is Tunisia, and then to the north, across the Mediterranean, lies Spain and France. France is going to be pretty important in the story we're going to talk about today. So there are two main ethnic groups in Algeria, the originals known as the Berbers, who are kind of the original peoples that have lived there for thousands of years, and then the Arabs who started coming around the 700s AD. And it seems like most of the population is actually Berber blood-wise, but a lot of those Berbers culturally consider themselves Arabs rather than Berbers. So... Algeria's land area is about 80% desert, so while the land area is very large, the habitable area is a little bit smaller. Oh, go a good bit smaller. Uh, the habitable area is about the size of California, and it's about the same population of California as well. So, as you would imagine, most of that habitable area is along the coast, and so there are many beautiful seaside views. Uh, if you Google Algeria seaside, you'll see some beautiful pictures there. Algeria as a nation existed throughout history as different dynasties that ruled for a while and then were conquered by outside powers, and usually moving west or east along the North African coast to get to Spain or Egypt. Uh, the Numidians, later called Algerians, under Massinissa, were Carthaginian allies, and then flipped to the Roman side in time to serve as the crucial cavalry wing at the Battle of Zama, when Hannibal was finally defeated by Scipio in the Second Punic War. While there aren't any Roman people still in Algeria, there are some very well-preserved ancient ruins that are scattered around Algeria from this time period. Another notable thing about Algeria is that St. Augustine of Hippo was based in Algeria. If you know much about Western history or the history of the church, uh, he's a pretty big guy in that. So. Anyways, after the Romans came a series of different Arab invaders from the east, and eventually the Ottoman Empire took over. 
And then finally, in the 19th century, the French arrived, and that's where we'll start our story today. In 1830, the French took over after the Turks and called it not just a colony, but they made Algeria an actual part of France. They said it was an actual like region of France proper. So they immediately began bringing in colonists, though, uh, to try to make it more like France proper. Making this land actually France, you would think that they would encourage the local Muslims to be French citizens, but this was not really the case. Uh, all the locals started off as French subjects and were given almost no ability to become French citizens unless they were willing to renounce Islam. And as you may or may not know, Islam is just as much a societal and cultural thing as it is a religious thing. So asking people to be, stop being Islamic is like you know, saying to an American, stop being American. And basically, any time France would try to change this to allow more Algerians to become citizens, the European colonists who had come into Algeria basically resisted this with all their might because they had a lot of privileges from being French citizens that these Algerians didn't have. And, uh, you know, they didn't want to give those up. Just like anybody that has privileges, you like to have them. So by 1935, the governor general of Algeria at the time gave a speech to the French version of Congress, the Assembly. Uh, they had refused his proposal to increase citizenship options for Algerians. He said, when the Muslims protest, you're indignant. When they approve, you're suspicious. When they keep quiet, you are fearful. Gentlemen, these men have no political nation. They do not even demand a religious nation. All they ask is to be admitted into yours. If you refuse this, beware lest they do not soon create one for themselves. His words seem pretty prophetic now, and that is what this episode's going to be about. The Algerians I identified had a sort of split idea on the founder. A number of them said that Emir Abdul Qadr was the founder and should be seen as the founder, uh, but there were also some who said the freedom fighters of the, Re of the Revolutionary War against the French were the founders. Uh, they kind of refused to name any specific fighters during that and just said everything is emphasized as being this huge struggle of the people and their freedom fighters versus the French. So since uh, Cotter's revolution was eventually suppressed, it seems like he played more of a grandfatherly type revolutionary role, kind of like uh, Hotak that we talked about for Afghanistan. Uh, but since we nobody's done an episode on the freedom fighters yet, that I've found on podcast, I'll ear Mike Cotter for later, and uh, we'll get him whenever we come back around to the A's. So, off we go. There had been protests and rebellions all throughout the, type, the time of the French colonial occupation of Algeria. Uh, these had all failed. Some quickly, and some stuck around for a little while, but by the time we got to the 1940s and the 1950s, there were three main chords that made up the resistance. There was an Islamic fundamentalist group, a more nationalist group, and a liberal group. The fundamentalist group, uh, you probably know, desired to return to strict religious rule in the country. Things like alcohol, dancing, sports. There were things that would be outlawed according to this theology and ideology. The nationalist group was leaning a bit more towards socialism, with a little s, but uh, didn't seem to want to really go anywhere near communism even though the revolution would be supported by a lot of the Soviet bloc. 
The third group, the liberals, were made up of a constantly growing group of Algerians who, in the past, had been pushing for reform and some sort of compromise with the French, but one by one they slowly became disenchanted and joined the resistance. And this would kind of be a slow trickle of people throughout the years of the resistance, and it would eventually turn into a flood. French colonists had a group of people who were on the side of reforming to help Muslims gain citizenship, but the more of them, definitely including those who had the money and power in Algeria, were opposed to any changes that would help Muslims become more enfranchised, because that would mean less political power for them. The French had by this time done a lot to build up the country, uh, agriculture, infrastructure, medicine, but it was almost always for the citizens, and it did not affect much the Muslim locals. So while the French citizens were enjoying this kind of modernization movement in Algeria, the Muslim locals were still living as they had for hundreds of years. With that situation in mind, let's get started on the actual revolution. So seems like it all started in 1945 in Setif, Algeria. It's VE Day. That's the day of victory in Europe during World War II. Uh, Algeria had committed a lot of troops to the French, and the French had actually made promises that they would grant sweeping autonomy to Algeria if they would just uh, fight with them in World War II. Uh, and so after this war was over, on VE Day, the day that it ended, there was a big parade planned by the Algerians in Satif to march and place a wreath at a monument in a memory of the Algerian soldiers who had died in the war. Uh, the French allowed this, but they wanted a ban on any kind of political signs in the march. Well, the Algerians didn't comply with this, and after someone fired the first shot, the small number of French authorities who were around were overwhelmed by the large crowd. Algerians fanned out in outrage in the countryside, and a general bloodletting was underway, with colonists being killed. It seemed like around a 100 French colonists were killed during this time, uh, and the French responded by brutally breaking up another march in a neighboring city. If things had ended there, it probably would have smoldered and just gone out, but it was not meant to be. The French decided on decimating the surrounding areas. The French Legion, as well as colonial militia, began just massacring Algerian civilians. French officials at the time put the number at around a 1,000, and uh, others, including the Algerians themselves, said there were 40,000 people killed. Uh, the, the general consensus today is there's somewhere between six and 20,000 civilians killed in the aftermath of this. However many it was, uh, this became a really hard spot for Algerians to get over because the French had just really gone crazy here. Not only did many people die, but many others in the surrounding area were arrested and detained for basically doing nothing. Uh, as we've seen in America, uh, prison is usually a great place for normal people to get into bad stuff and be radicalized, or for those who are already bent on bad stuff, to network with each other. And it seems like that's really what happened. Uh, the French had imprinted a whole bunch of regular Algerians and a small number of militants. And uh, this was just another step in the mistakes the French had made in pushing the population away from their cause. As we move on into 1947, there was a big group of reforms that was sent in from Paris to Algeria. 
<clears throat> that gave the ability to have an almost real general assembly in Algeria. It would be called the Second Electoral College, and it gave some hope to local Algerians. However, that would all come tumbling down when the elections for the Second College happened, as there was massive election fraud by the colonial authorities and their allies. Voter intimidation, whole districts results just being lost, runoffs changing from what was a very close margin in the general election to a blowout in the runoff. Uh, this is basically the opposite of what the locals were hoping for, and wow, this, you know, this was not a good thing for the way they felt about the French. And during this same exact time period, Algerians who had gone to war with the Allies in World War II had started to come back home. They had seen the outside world, they were ready for it, and they had extensive training and experience fighting a war, and they had fought alongside French citizens and other Europeans as, as equals. And now, just imagine them coming back from fighting for this freedom from oppression, only to come to this election that had just been terribly rigged and repressed. Um, yeah. So from this point on, underground groups started forming up all over the country among the different groups of people. <clears throat> and more consistent civil disobedience really set in. But no progress was really made with the disobedience because those colonial authorities and the colonial people just were not willing to set aside any of their privileges and their advantages to kind of accommodate this welcoming in of the Algerians to the French Republic. So armed rebellion steadily became the plan for the future for the Algerians. One example of this, as quoted in A History of Algeria, the book, is that boys in the local Muslim scout troops began singing this song, memorializing the dead. Mother, why do you weep for me? Your son has sacrificed himself for freedom. My blood I offer, my life I sacrifice. I give them for my country. People were primed for something to happen, but it would take a little while longer before things really went off the rails. Fast forward to 1954, and this has just kind of been slowly snowballing with the French continuing to try to introduce some reforms, but never being enough. And then even those small reforms just being thwarted by colonial authorities and colonial citizens. There are now political groups scattered all over Algeria trying to fix this problem of not having any representation after being promised it for so long. Now, why would this be such a big deal for people who had lived under... Uh, Islamic rule without much representation, and they've never really had representation. Why was it such a big deal? Well, the big deal was that the French, even though they weren't really granting this kind of freedom, they were influencing the education of the country. And of course, what were they teaching them about? The rights of man, the French Revolution, uh, all these Republican ideals from the Republic of France. But even though they were teaching these people all these things, they weren't allowing them to have it. And so here we are with the people who think they should be free and who are being told that they're equals with the French, but they're not being given any representation, basically. So, yeah, that's just not going to work. Uh, some of the groups were ready to fight to the death by this time, while others were still trying to work it out. And these different political groups all fought amongst themselves, as much or if not more than they kind of pushed 
for the French to make changes. So in 1954, a group of men from these different political groups all met together in secret and made the decision that it was time to fight and put the politics down. So they basically made a plan to throw off all of the political groups and unite under one National Liberation Front, or the FLN, Front de Liberation Nationale. The only goal of this, what was basically just an army, was the liberation of Algeria. And they hoped to put aside all the bickering, all the different ideas about how things could be done, and just focus on liberating Algeria and then worry about those political things later. The first meeting of this new group just happened to be on the day that the Dien Bien Phu defeat was announced. So before we get into the meeting, we need to do some background work about what that was and why it was important. So France was one of the colonial empires of Europe. As we could see, they took over Algeria. Here in America, they aren't nearly as famous as the English or the Spanish for colonizing, but they definitely did a lot of in the Americas, the two big places they had colonies in were the Louisiana Territory, which the U.S. bought from Napoleon in the early 1800s, and Saint-Domingue, which is a big portion of what is today Haiti. Uh, Mike Duncan has a whole series of episodes on the Haitian Revolution and his pod on his Revolutions podcast, if you want to know more about that. It's very well done. Uh, they, like other colonial powers, had colonies kind of spread out all over the known world, Africa, Pacific Islands, along the Indian Ocean, and finally in Asia. And it's Asia where this Dien Bien Phu took place. During the mid to late 1800s, the French took most of what is modern-day Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia, and even a small section of southern China in Guangzhou province. There had been some backlash from the locals, of course, and by this time, in the mid-1900s, French was engaged in their Vietnam War, which was equally, if not more disastrous, than the American Vietnam War was. By the 1950s, the French had been pushed back pretty hard in Southeast Asia, and in 1954, they suffered their final and most devastating defeat in Vietnam at Dien Bien Phu. This siege is a fascinating story that I'll have some podcast links for in the mini-sode, but to try to get back to our story, we'll make it short. The French, basically, that were left in Vietnam had set up a huge fortification, but it was not really on great terrain. They had mistakenly thought that the Viet Minh wouldn't be able to transport heavy artillery into the area to make that bad terrain choice a problem. And they had basically just planned to kind of supply themselves by air in perpetuum, I guess, until the Viet Minh gave up or the French brought in extra reinforcements and helped them out. Well, this did not work because the Viet Minh were able to get large artillery in, and eventually a large force of about 14,000 French and colonial troops were killed or captured. This was a huge blow for French prestige around the world, and that is the backstory and the backdrop for this first meeting of the FLN, the National Liberation Front of Algeria. It took place on the day this defeat was announced in Algeria, and so there were rumors that were ranging across the Algerian countryside that the entire French army had been destroyed in Vietnam. So a second meeting took place pretty quickly after that in July, and it was decided that the revolution should start as soon as possible to take advantage of this. And that would be midnight, November 1st, 1954. That would give them enough time to train and recruit and plan. 
During the intervening months, the French seemed to gather clues and find some information to kind of sniff out and even stop major parts of the preparation, but it seems the information was always kind of scattered around Algeria, and it was never put together into a big picture. So everything just seemed like a little thing that was happening in this city or this town. Meanwhile, the Algerians were organizing their country into six different operational zones that would basically operate with the same strategic goals, but be just totally tactically independent of each other. Uh, This was to kind of help with many different things in the war, but it would definitely not help with uh, keeping everybody in line in the way they fought. The goals of this first part of the revolution were to destroy French military and police capabilities, the aristocracy's land and businesses, and then Muslim collaborators. The plan was to leave all the French civilians out of it, and many of them were even asked or warned as the days drew near to go on vacation. Because by this time, a lot of these French civilians had been in the country, you know, for a generation or two, that they may have lived in Algeria their whole lives and never even been to France. So in a lot of situations, the French colonists had pretty much grown up with Algerians, and so they were often on pretty reasonable terms, at least the normal colonists, not the really big ones who were rich and causing all these problems. Uh, When the attacks actually took place in November, uh, most of the operational areas ended up failing in their objectives, and one of the attacks even ended up killing a few well-liked French teachers who were coming back from their honeymoon. Uh, This caused quite a bit of negative press in France, and it was the first instance of the rebellion failing to keep civilians out of things. The positive part of the day's attacks for the Algerians was that they were so inept that the French ended up with a totally incorrect understanding of what had happened. Uh, Even though the attacks were spread out around most of Algeria, because they were just so terribly executed, they thought it was just a small group of problem makers. And that really was what it was. The FLN at this time was very small. But what the French didn't understand was there was this groundswell that had been building through decades and decades of promises that were not fulfilled of giving freedoms. And so in France proper, there was still this movement going on to try to do voting reforms and open up the country and all these other things. Uh, But by this time, the colonial representatives of the colonists uh, who were in the General Assembly had made themselves into a pretty strong voting bloc. And because of the way French politics was at the time, it was about split down the middle. So this strong block of colonial voters actually ended up being the swing vote on a lot of things. So any sort of reform meant to help the Algerian people out uh, was, was pretty well blocked by them on threat that they would just, you know, move to the other side of the aisle and then whichever government was ruling at the time would fall and have to be re-voted in. We see this problem in Western-style representative governments uh, where things start to be done with a focus on getting re-elected rather than doing the right thing. And this is something that we need to find a way to fix if we're to progress into the next stage of this kind of government. Uh, It seems like I haven't found many places that have been able to fix it. Uh, Can you think of any good ways to fix this problem? Uh, Of course, the opposite of this kind of government is a one-party style system. It's it's much more efficient, uh, but the problem is it's much more efficient at everything. So... 
when you inevitably have bad people in the government that are much more efficient at doing terrible things. Uh, so, anyways, I've opened up a Reddit for this week called uh, Founders of Nations. And if you want to get on and discuss this question with me and other people, I've got it on there. Uh, and if you want to discuss anything else from any of the other episodes we've talked about or just Founders of Nations in general, you're welcome to hit the link in the description and go hang out with us and talk about these things. Uh, and that's where we'll stop right now with this kind of general background, the, the first beginnings of the revolution. And uh, we just don't have enough time to get into more before we hit the 30-minute time limit. So I'll be back in a few days with the final half of the story of Algeria's founders. Uh, I don't think it'll be too long before the rest of the story is finished, as it's almost done now. It just needs to be edited. Uh, if you enjoy the show, you're always welcome to join it on Patreon. You can influence uh, which countries will go next, or which countries get a second founder talked about earlier, uh, or just uh, say that you like this and you want me to keep doing it. Uh, please go over to Reddit also and answer that question if you have time at least. That'd be great. Thanks for coming, and I will talk to you again soon. <laughs>